0: I do want to clarify one thing for anybody who may be wondering. We've been talking about these checks and these monies and these donations, and you might have an actual thing in your hand called a check, and you're wondering, what do I do with it? There are two trays on the back table. Um, One says Orphan's Lifeline. If you would like to make a contribution to Orphan's Lifeline, that contribution goes in that tray, um, and the other is for our regular giving here at the Billings uh, Church. It was uh, in the early 1920s that a man named Vasil Strank immigrated to the United States from Czechoslovakia. And there were many things that he enjoyed and appreciated about his new country. You could probably tell his appreciation in the names he gave his three sons, Mike, John, and Pete. Very American names. But there's one thing that he wanted to be very sure that he raised his kids differently than some of the individualism that he saw around him in his neighbors. And so he devised what was a very unique form of discipline with his three boys. If any one of the boys did something wrong, they all knew all three of them would be disciplined the exact same way. So if Mike didn't do his homework and was grounded for the night because of it, then John and Pete were also grounded. And the reason he said he did that was because he wanted to develop in his sons an awareness of the good in their brothers, to help them be a part of their discipline, to realize, I don't care just how you do as an individual, but I want us as a family to be responsible and to help one another and to help each other grow. He wanted to develop a shared interest in the good behavior of each other. And I don't know if God would do exactly that sort of thing as a parent, But it seems to me that God, amongst his children, want to make sure that we develop a good awareness of the behavior of each other. That we realize we we have a sense of responsibility. That, That there's something that we care about in each other that we want to see satisfied and fulfilled. See, a child of God shouldn't look at other people and just say, not my problem, why should I care? Because as children of God, we realize that we have an obligation, a responsibility to each other this morning we've been talking about orphans lifeline we've been talking about the importance of helping and and what i want to just make sure that we um, address as kelvin has helped us to do that in our bible class is is asking the question not just about this organization but, but about helping people in general why should i if i'm a christian why should i care that there's somebody perhaps on the other side of the world that i likely won't ever meet why would it matter to me whatever happens to them And so we're going to explore that question about the importance of caring for others. I think our our answer can be found in two words, both love and justice. We're going to start with this first word, love. In Mark chapter 12, verses 26 through 31, Jesus is brought into a pre-existing conversation. Everybody agrees that these are two important pieces of the puzzle. Loving God and loving other people. And the question is, what is the relationship between these two things? Which one is first and which one is second? And people will give different answers to that. And so Jesus is brought into the discussion when a scribe asked him, which commandment is the first of all? He wants to know, what's that one thing that belongs in the beginning that is first? And Jesus answered, the first is this. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And Jesus has given now the answer to the question, it seems. He said, here's the first single commandment that is given. And you would imagine that at just this point, Jesus would say, any other questions? And yet he's not done, is he? He continues by saying, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment that is greater than these. And it's really important that we look at at the, the singular and the plural in that statement of Jesus. There is no other commandment, singular, that is greater than these, plural. In other words, they are looking for the one commandment that is the single commandment. And Jesus says the one commandment is actually two commandments. That you cannot answer the question by simply giving one that this love of God and love of others, those two things combine to make one commandment that is the first and the most important. Jesus does not believe that we should ever have to make a choice between loving God and loving others. Those two things belong together. In fact, the relationship between loving God and loving others is like the relationship between algae and fungi in lycogen fungi. Now I'm going to let you know, I helped my son with his biology homework this week. And one of the things that we learn is that with this lichen fungi, that the algae need the fungi to survive. And guess what? The fungi need the algae to survive. You take one out and the other is affected. So they do something. I didn't do a lot of study with him, but they do something that helps each other. They form a symbiotic relationship. Loving God and loving others is the exact same way. They belong in relationship to each other. One who loves God we'll love others and those who love others will find their love of God increasing. When it comes to the relationship between loving God and loving others, I think we should be able to say what God has joined together. Let no man separate. These things belong together. And we don't separate them because a part of our heritage in our Judeo Christian faith is that God has called us to treat others with justice and we're going to look just briefly at Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and we're going to see the relationship between love of God and our treatment of other people. Micah, Micah is a, it's an extended analogy. There's four roles that are played, and we're going to just quickly look at each of these roles and what Micah is trying to teach his people through this prophetic word of God. The first role that is played is the voice of the bailiff. The bailiff in Micah chapter 6, verses 1 to through two. It's almost as if we can hear the bailiff saying, the court is now in session, God versus Israel. And here's the text then. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains, the controversy of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people and he will contend with Israel. Do you see him calling the court into session? To be ready, Israel, to offer their answer. They are to plead their cause because God has a controversy. Then the second role in the analogy is played by God himself. When God says, oh, my people, what have I done to you? In what have I wearied you? Answer me. And then he talks of bringing them up out of the land of Egypt. He talks of, of his deliverance from the king of Balak and of Beor. And he tells them of his saving acts. When the Lord is asked to present his case, he does it in a surprising way. You expect the lawyer to stand up and what does he do? He's going to say, here's what you did and here's what you did and here's what you did. But instead, when God stands up to make his case, he does not talk about Israel's behavior. He talks about whose behavior? His own. And he does not sound like a lawyer who wants to win a case. He sounds like a hurt lover. Like an abandoned spouse. Who wants the love of his Lover to return. God wants their own guilt to be evident to them. And he simply talks about his faithfulness. When God says, oh, my people, what have I done to you? Can you hear his voice cracking as he says that? Can you see the anguish in his eyes as he looks at Israel? And he says, what have I done to you? He doesn't want to win a court case. He wants to woo them back. What has God done? Only always ever good. So we're prepared now for the third role in the analogy. This role is played by Israel, and they want to make things right. They ask the question, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? How do you mend a relationship when you've been caught red handed? You say, Okay. All I can do now is ask you, what do I need to do to make things right? And so they begin by offering some suggestions. They, they remember what God had said in Leviticus chapters 1 through 6. And so they say, well, maybe I should come before him with burnt offerings, with a calf that is a year old. Or will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sins of my people? Israel is thinking, let's find something that's valuable, offer it to God, and then everything will be healed. And so they begin looking around at the commodities, the resources they have. It's almost as if they're bargaining, they're bartering with God to say, is this enough or is this enough or is this enough as they offer him more and more in an effort to reconcile this broken relationship. How much will it cost? How much will it cost to renew this broken love? I remember the last time I was at Albertsons buying flowers, as I checked out, the female cashier looked at me and said, oh no, what did you do? That's how we restore relationships. Well, if flowers don't work, then maybe jewelry will work. And if jewelry doesn't work, maybe a vacation will work. With what shall I come before you? Israel wants to make things right. We come now to the fourth role in the analogy. This is the voice of the judge. And the judge is going to offer his concluding verdict. How is this broken relationship to be healed? Remember, Israel asked with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before him on high? And Micah 6, 8 should sound awfully familiar to you by now. And this final aspect, he has told you, O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The judge reminds them. You already know what must be done. To which Israel might say, well, when did we know? When did anyone ever tell us? And it was at the very formation of the covenant relationship in Exodus 19 and 20, when God forms a covenant, and then he says, here's the terms of the covenant. And he gives what we know as the Ten Commandments. The first of those four commandments are about what? Loving God. The next six commandments are about what? Loving others. The God is saying for us to be in a covenant relationship, you will love me and you will love other people. And that's what Micah is touching on in these aspects. When he says to do justice, we'll find shortly, he is talking here about loving others. When he is talking about loving kindness, this is a word that is used in the context of the covenant. He is reminding them we are in a covenant relationship with God. When he speaks of walking humbly with your God, he's talking about the role of loving God. They already know this. And they want to come to God with these sacrifices. And yet, what God says, what I want right now from you. The very first thing he asks of them is justice. I want you to be a people who practice justice. But today, when we hear the word justice, we think of it probably a little bit differently than Israel would have. When we hear the word justice, we think about judges in their robes. And we think about gavels. And we think about lawyers. And we think about courtrooms. We think about guilty verdicts and innocent verdicts. And yet justice is about something different in the Bible. It includes that aspect, but justice also includes that which is done um, in terms of the resources, protection, and care, and provision. To be just means that when hurting people are hurt, you don't continue to add to their hurt. You find offers ways to help them, to defend them, and to protect them. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 8, speaking of God, it says, God executes justice, And we think, okay, God's going to execute justice. Well, who's he going to declare innocent or guilty? But in executing justice, he has justice for who? For the orphan and the widow and who loves the stranger, providing them food and clothing. So the act of justice is shown not by a gavel, not by verdict, but through food and clothing. That is how they display the fact that God's justice prevails. And if you want to be a person following a just God, guess what? You need to be just towards others just in the presence of your neighbors. So Job, when he is defending himself in Job thirty-one thirteen, he says, if I have rejected the cause of my male and female slaves, and I highlighted that word because the word cause there is justice. Job is saying, if I have somehow denied justice to my slaves, then he's saying, I've got nothing that I can defend myself with God. But so he is making the case, I have been just in my treatment. And again, it's not about guilt. It's not about innocence. It's about treating people in a way that is fair and right and equitable, Or in Psalm uh, 82.3, Give justice to the weak and to the orphan, maintaining the rights of the lowly and the destitute. Justice is about caring for people. And because God is just, we too should be just with one another. Um, we can uh, go through these next three uh, scripture verses in Micah. Um, I'll give you the homework of read Micah, and you will find very clearly the fe- sense of what is wrong in Micah, that what people are being called to, is to, to the kind of justice that treats people kindly. Now, justice is a very broad category that most often applies to the poor. And within the poor, there are three categories. Kelvin highlighted two of those for us this morning. The three categories are orphans and widows. And then there's the alien or the stranger. The, those who are people who lack the social care, the family structure, I mean, if something happens to you and you don't have children who are adults, then when you can't earn money, then you've got no way to feed yourself. Or if you're a kid, you can't get a job, so you've got no way to provide yourself. Or, I don't know if you know this, but if you're a foreigner in a different land, you are not allowed to work until what? Until the government gives you papers and permission to work. So these are all people who find themselves away from their normal ability to take care of themselves. So Zechariah 7, 8 through 10 says, The word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, that word judgments is justice. It's the word we've been looking at. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the orphan, the alien, or the poor. And do not devise evil in your heart against each other. These are the most vulnerable people. And to be a people who live like God means we have an awareness of a sensitivity, a justice towards those other people. Now, in case you think this is just something you would find in the Old Testament, James 1, 27, that we've looked at, remembers what is, what is a pure and faultless religion? It involves the care of orphans and widows. Jesus in Luke chapter eleven forty-two, speaking to Pharisees, he talks about the things that they do well, their tithing of the mint, and he says, but they have neglected, and what did they neglect? They have neglected justice and the love of God. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. When God calls us towards justice, He calls us to be aware of the needs of others. If we say, "I love God," then that should be shown in the ways that we love one another, the ways that we show justice. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Love of God, love of others, always belongs together. That's what John says. First John chapter 4, verse 20. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. This, the commandment that we have from him is this. Those who love God must also love their brothers and sisters. See, the Strock family was raised to believe they had an obligation to each other not just make sure they're doing right, but making sure they're aware of what's happening with their brothers. And I think that in the same way that God calls us to be aware, not just of what's happening in my own personal finances, what's happening in my own life, what's happening in my own work, but to be asking the question, is there anybody that is being overlooked right now? Is there anybody who is hurting? And if there is, then we have a gospel imperative to respond to them because we serve a God who responds to them. I find it interesting that in, Uh, the 300s, it was 361 through 363 that Julian was the emperor uh, of Rome. And he realized that the poor were not being well cared for. And so he said, I want to see if there's anybody who's caring for the poor well, that, that we can see as a model and as a behavior. And anybody want to guess who he found as an example to the Roman empire of what it meant to care for the poor in a good manner. He wrote to one of his pagan priests and he talked about these Galileans, who we would know today as the Christians. He talked about the ways that they cared for the poor. And to this priest he wrote, They support not only their poor, but ours as well. All people um, all men see that our people lack aid from us, and yet they find aid from them. And may that be something that is said of us. That people would recognize if we can find somewhere where there is good treatment of the poor, that they'd be able to say the people of God, the people who practice justice, the people who love God, they are the ones who do that. That's why we participate in things like Orphan's Lifeline. Many other things, our benevolence programs, our, our, our various ways of individually helping people is because we want to show people that we both love God and love others. And as we endeavor, we pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you That the Lord will make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That the Lord would turn his face towards you and give you peace. And if we want to be reminded of all the resources we have as we go through this life, we can be reminded that we go with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. With the love of God and with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Um, We're going to sing uh, another song here in a moment. Uh, Myself and some of the elders will be in the back. If you want someone to pray with you, um, if you find yourself in this helpless position, Um, Just come and find us in the back and we'd be happy to pray with you. Let's go and stand and sing this song.